Good morning, everybody. It's good to be together, isn't it? I mean, we know what that it's good to be together because we know what it is to not be together. So this, this is cool. We're living in a different times, aren't we? It's a strange world we live in. People are on edge. People are anxious. People are angry. Uh, and that's not just people outside the church. That's people inside the church. We're, we're, we're all feeling this because there, there's a, uh, a sense of loss. We've lost some stability. We've lost something that we've, it's been a way of our life for a long time. And I'm not sure, and you're not sure, that it's ever going to get back to normal again. The world's just a difficult, a difficult, different place that we live in. But we are the church, and we never ceased being the church because we couldn't meet together on Sunday morning. We are the church. So I thought, in these difficult times, that's obviously either the last days or the forerunner of the very last days before the Lord comes back, uh, I thought it would be good for us to rediscover what the church is. And the book of Ephesians in the New Testament speaks of that. So we're going to read today Ephesians chapter 2. So if you brought your Bible, you can turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at the second chapter of what the church is. Last week we looked at it as it relates to us, uh, who we are. We looked at that angle in chapter 1. Today we're going to look at chapter 2. And chapter 2 really breaks down into four paragraphs, and each of these paragraphs is a point I want us to look at. The, uh, the key verse, I think, in chapter 2 that summarizes it all is in verse uh, 15, where it says, His purpose, God, God's purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity. The King James says, one new man out of the two, thus making Peace. This is what the church is all about. And it's all about God making a new man out of us, a new humanity, which is probably a, a better translation for our culture today because when we think of a man, we think of a male. He's talking about males and females. He's talking about bringing opposites together so that we have oneness. This is the good news. So let's look at the first paragraph I want us to see here. It's... Um, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 10. As for you, speaking of you Christians, us Christians here, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, Boy, doesn't that speak to today? Amen. All of us who lived among them at one, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that anyone can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in, in advance for us to do. God prepared some things in advance for us to do. We are his handiwork. He's given us the preparation, the tools. He's given us everything we need to do this work in this world that we live in today. Everything we need. And the world is in desperate need. My prayer should be, God, what do you want me to do to help in this pandemic? What do you want me to do in this uh, civil rights chaos that we have? What do you want me to do? And it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, it's not my problem. We just read that it is our problem. He's given us the tools. He has prepared us to take some action in this day, in this time. We have to do something. We can't just sit back and watch it happen. We have to be a part of a solution. So I want to share four principles or four laws that we pull, pull out of this chapter about our new humanity. Here's the first law. It's what I'm going to call the law of the egg. You know what an egg is. You look at it, it's a shell. You, you know it's a shell, but you also know there's something happening on the inside of that egg. There's something forming. There's something developing. You and I are like what's inside of that egg. It takes time to develop. Crack that shell before it's ready, and it dies. Let it fully mature inside the shell, and then it comes out. It's born. It's alive. It begins to flourish on the outside. And what's on the inside of the shell is invisible. You cannot see it. But when it comes out, everybody can see it. Then you know what kind of fowl was inside of that eggshell. When you and I were born into this world, it was like we were... Uh, what's the word for a chicken laying an egg? We were laid. I can't think of a better term for that. And inside the shell, we were forming, we were developing, we were rebelling, we were learning, all kinds of things inside the shell. And finally we became mature and the shell cracked and we got out. That's what's called being born again. I came out of my shell. No longer was I hibernating in isolation and quarantine inside of the shell. Now I'm out of it. Doesn't feel good to get out of the shell. You once were dead, but now you're alive, he says in chapter 2. He said, you should know what it was like because you came from that. 
You came from that life. You know what it is to be a sinner. You know what it is to have these temptations pulling you this way and that. You know what it is to lose your temper. You know what it is to to spoil relationships because you once were there. You once lived in it. But now Christ delivered you out of that. We are, here's, there's a couple phrases I want to pull out that we read in that first paragraph. We are alive with Christ. Yes. You're not alive with yourself. You're alive with Christ. He did something inside of you that made you alive, and we got out of our shell. We got out of the learning stage. Well, we're always in the learning stage, but we got out of the, the stage inside the shell. And we're out, and we're breathing, and we're experiencing life, and color looks different than it ever looked before. And emotions are different than they ever were before. God's changed us from the inside out. I'm out of my shell. We got out. Thank God we got out. Here's the second phrase. We're saved by grace. And not by works. It's not by what I do. It's not by my behavior. It's not my, by, by my actions. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say they're going to heaven because they were baptized. That sounds like works to me. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did for me. Because of what Jesus did for me, I was baptized. You see, it's a whole different perspective of that. It's God's favor, not your works. Or effort. He uses this other phrase, the incomparable riches of His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. So God gives us favor that we haven't deserved. Incomparable riches of His grace. Incomparable. What does that mean? There's nothing to compare. I mean, I was, I was sitting at my desk. I was scratching my head. How can I illustrate this? How can I visualize this? What kind of a parable can I use? There isn't any. God's grace is above and beyond anything we can come up with. Incomparable riches of His grace. Here's another phrase. His great love for us. How did He demonstrate His great love? How do we know He had great love for us? He went to the cross. He gave up Himself. He gave up His rights. He gave up His own selfishness. He gave it up. We live in a world where everybody wants to demand their rights. Jesus gave them up. That's His great love. Where is the church that has that kind of love? for one another, for the lost that aren't even in the faith yet. He died in my place. And then the, the last phrase I want us to see pulled out of, I pulled out of there is God's, we are, you, you are God's handiwork, His craftsmanship, His workmanship. You are the result of God's skill in working in the life of a sinner. This is such good news. God is so good. It's a law of egg. That's the first thing I want us to see that he talks about. Responsibility that we have in rediscovering the church. Here's the second paragraph then. We'll look at this because he goes into the second law, which is in uh, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, having said that, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember 
that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm going to call this the law, the law of the passcode. You know what a passcode is, don't you? Of course you do. Well, we all know what a passcode is, password. You have to have a password to get in. You can't get in without it. So if you don't know what the password is, you can fumble around and try and experiment all you want. You're not going to get in. But if you have the password, if you have the passcode, you can get in every time. It's like the key to the lock. And the password is Jesus! Everybody tell me what your password is. Jesus. You have that password or you cannot get in. You can look like it. You can try all you want. You can go to this place and that place, but you can't get in without your password. And the password is Jesus. It's by him and what he's done. We have been brought near. We once were alienated. We remember what that is. It's good for us to think back in your pre-Christian days, pre-Christ. You were alienated from God. You were far away. Remember? Remember the confusion? Remember all the emotions that stirred in you because you had no stability, no security? You didn't know where you fit? He's reminding us this is where we came from, but now we have a password. We can get in. We don't have to be outside in all that chaos. We've been brought near. Jesus is the password that brings us near. Now, today, at New Hope Christian Center, we've been brought near. I get to look at your faces, most of your faces anyway. I get to see. I get to see your faces. That is good news. I've been brought near. But I remember when I was in isolation. I remember when I couldn't be brought near. It's a great illustration of us being isolated from God and then being brought near again, being brought out of our quarantine. We should be people that have a purpose. We should see everything that happens to us pass through the hands of God. Therefore, the church is not a victim. We have not been victimized. God has set us up with a learning opportunity, and we need to see it as an opportunity. We need to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this? Praise God. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from, because without God, you'd be right back in that same place. Oh, man, I don't ever want to go back there. I remember that chaos. I remember that pain. So if we're going to compare ourselves to someone else about how we're doing spiritually, let's compare ourselves to Jesus. Let's not compare ourselves to the the people who don't go to church and the people who are going through their third or fourth marriage. Let's not compare ourselves to them and think how, how good we are. Let's compare ourselves to Jesus and realize this is all about grace. It's not about my works. It's not about my 
turning over a new leaf and my changed behavior. It's about Jesus and what he did. The law of the password. I can get in anytime I want. All right, let's go to the third paragraph. Because the clock's ticking. And we're going to look at verses 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives us access. I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. You're nothing like me, but you also have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And the people on the other side of the room and, and some of the people watching at home, we've been brought together. Yes. There's one unity, one family. I may not like the guy you voted for. I may not like the same TV shows you watch. But we got one thing in common. Jesus Christ. Amen. That's got to be our hub. That's got to be the glue that holds us together. That's got to be our connection. <clears throat> I can read it better if it's not upside down. <laughs> My third point is the law of the alliance. You know what an alliance is? That's when people come together and they form a pact. They form an agreement. An alliance. They become allies. I think a great illustration of this is the founding of our country, the United States of America. Those states were originally colonies. Each colony had its own local government, elected its own governor. Each of those 13 colonies was independent, and they all had a different religious background because of countries where they came from. They all had preferences. They all had their own culture because of the immigrants that had come in there. But they realized for them to have independence, they've got to stand up together against this big governing force called Great Britain. They wanted to be free of that, that oppressive governmental relationship. And the only way to do that is to stand together. So they had to find a way to give up their independent rights, to give up their individual preferences. They had to come together and come up with some kind of an agreement where they all were on the same page. That was not an easy trick. If you know anything about the founding of our country, you know that was, it wasn't a whole bunch of Christians got together and say, hey, we're just all going to be Christians here. There were a lot of non-Christians among those leaders, and they had to come up with a way. How do we blend our cultures? How do we blend the way we see things? But they knew they had to do it. So they sacrificed their independence to become dependent on one another. 
and become the United States of America. And only then could they be victorious. Well, that's kind of like us. The only way for us to be the church Jesus Christ has called us to be is for us to give up our independence. We have to become dependent on Jesus Christ. We have to see He's our hub. And if we're going to see this world changed, because if it continues down the trajectory it's in right now, I hate to think what my grandkids are going to have to face when they get my age. But this world can be changed. You and I can be influential in changing this world. I don't have much influence in Washington, but I do have influence in DeKalb County. I do have influence with the people that come to New Hope Christian Center. And I intend to influence you. That's what I'm doing right now, influencing you. It's the law of the alliance. Two differing groups come together. What's it, what's, well, how can we illustrate this? Marriage? Is that a good example of two differing groups coming together? Two independent, different people? You see, in the church, we don't recognize. We, I don't have a problem with two men being, being friends, having a relationship. I don't have a problem with two women being friends, having a relationship. But marriage, whole other matter. The Bible clearly defines that as a relationship between one man and one woman. It's clear. I mean, there's no question. It's pretty clear. How do you take a man and a woman who God made so different, so opposite, how do you take those two and you put them together and not have a war on your hands for the next 60 years? How do you do that? That's, that takes God involved in our life. We've got to set aside our, our stubborn opinions and our ideologies, and we've got to come up with some compromises. And that's what the church has to do. And it says that Jesus removed the barriers between the two. And when he went to the cross, he paid the price for our sin. The wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. Jesus paid the death penalty, therefore removing that barrier between us and God. And he wants to be our peace that removes the barriers between us and our brothers and our sisters and people that aren't quite like us. He wants, he is our peace. He is our peace. How do you do that? It's a word called humility. Pride says, these are my rights. This is, this is my decision. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's pride. Humility says, if it's going to help you become better, I'm going to do it. That's humility. God help us be people of humility. And because of that, we have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is such good news. I have access to the Father by the Spirit. So I have the Spirit inside of me, which means I can approach the Father. I get to walk into the throne room of God. I get to talk to God in my prayers. And God, hears what I'm saying. Me, what right do I have? He gives me the right because His Spirit lives inside of me. That's the authority I have. To walk right into the room and have a conversation with God. This is so good. 
It's the law of the alliance. It's something the new man has that the old man didn't have. It's something that once you're born again, you have the spirit inside that makes everything different. All right, let's go to this fourth paragraph. See how this ends. Verses 19 through 22. Consequently, so here's, here's the result of that. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So God lives inside of me by his spirit. And when we come together, he's inside of all of us. And relating to all of us. So if I want to hear the voice of God, one of the best things I can do is sit down and have a spiritual conversation with you. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. So if I interact with you, and I hear your thoughts, and you hear my thoughts, God is showing himself. I'm calling this the, the law of belonging. We need to feel like we belong. And the church has traditionally set all these boundaries and barriers. Well, you, if you want to belong here, you got to do this, you got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. But in every family, there should be some grandfathers, there should be some aunts and uncles, there should be some cousins you don't get along with, there should be some children, and there should be some grandchildren, some babies that don't know how to function in this world. In every church, in every family, it should be like that. But people aren't going to behave until they feel like they belong. So one of the best things you and I can do is find somebody we don't quite know yet and go up to them and have a conversation with them and treat them like their family. Treat them like they belong if you want them to change their behavior. Is this making sense? Belonging is crucial. I grew in my faith because some Christians put their arm around me. Some Christians who coached me and guided me, guided me and prayed for me, told me I was going to make it. Made me feel like I was important when the rest of the world made me feel unimportant. Because they made me feel like I belonged, they allowed me to come to their church, they allowed me to come to their prayer meetings, they allowed me to, to teach a Bible study here or there. They allowed me get into, to get into Christian Training Center to get some, some, some training, some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, some systematic, organized teaching of the Word. It allowed me to grow. It made me feel like I belonged, and I didn't want to go away. I wanted to hang out there. I wanted to stay where I was wanted. Yes. Are we making people not quite like us feel like they're wanted? This is important. It's the law of belonging. He says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. I'm glad I'm not a foreigner. I've been in countries where I was a foreigner. And I just felt like I didn't fit. I, I, I don't know what you're saying. You're rambling over there in your language. I don't know what you're saying. 
I want to buy that. I want to buy that item, but I don't know what it costs. I just all I know is I want it. You can swindle me dry, because I don't know. I've been in those places where I felt like I didn't fit or I didn't belong. But I can honestly tell you, here at New Hope, I feel like I belong. Do you feel like you belong? If you do, say amen. amen. I want you to feel like you belong. We are no longer foreigners or strangers. We are fellow citizens. Both of those words are important. Fellow means we're in this together. Citizens mean I've got a stake in this. I've got a stake in this. Every Christian is in rebellion if they haven't identified with a local church someplace. I don't know how many people don't, aren't going to church any place that if you talk to them about their, their relationship with God, they'll say, oh, I believe, I believe. And don't give me that stuff you believe, but you don't want to identify with the place where you belong. So we become, because we're citizens, fellow citizens, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. A temple is a dwelling place. Holy Spirit lives inside of me. He lives inside of you. Have you ever seen an old church that's not been taken care of? I mean, it, it, it looks like an old shack someplace. Weeds growing up, dim little light hanging on the front door. I've seen places like that. It's not attractive. I don't want to go there. I want to go to a place that looks like it's alive. It looks like the light's on. It looks like something's happening there. I want to go to a church like that. So don't let the temple of the living God get run down. We are God's handiwork. Let's look like we're God's handiwork and not our own. Better to be God's handiwork than to look like the devil worked you over. Amen. So, in the temple, the house of God, where we all come together, we have refrigerator privileges. You know what that is? You, do, you, don't, you don't come to my house and raid the fridge without permission. You wouldn't even think of doing that. If I come to your house, I would ask for a glass of water. I just don't go to the fridge and help myself. I don't do that. But in the family of God, we have refrigerator privileges. We've made an attempt to keep everybody safe by setting the chairs up like they are, but we want you to know you have refrigerator privileges. Move a chair here or there. You know, the principle of what we're trying to do is stay six feet apart. Move chairs. You have refrigerator privileges. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't want anybody coming to my house, going to the fridge and rooting around for rotten apples. Might, <laughs> might be one down there. Don't come to my house looking for rotten apples. And don't come to God's house looking for rotten apples. Probably got some, but don't go looking for them. This is the family of God. Amen? Amen. God is good. We got out of that egg, right? Got out of the shell. Got to get out of the shell. We got out of the grave, didn't we? We need to run out of that place. Let's not stay there. It's time for the church to rise up. It's time for the church to be the voice of God, to be the witness of God in this dark world.
We're going to sing about that. Let's stand together as we do that.